say four or five weeks we'll be done with it, but we've been in it all summer. James has been an amazing book for us to kind of grow practically. Um, and tonight we're going to talk out of James 4, so if you have a Bible, turn there. I kind of have a saying that I like, um, that if you ever want to make God laugh, you should tell him your plans. I love that. If you ever want to make God laugh, tell him what you think is going to happen in your life. And I, I, I always thought that that was a, a really good observation that no matter what we think, um, God has a funny way, a sense of humor of, of sometimes proving us wrong. And that can work for the good and the bad. Sometimes God can totally bail us out of a situation that we thought was totally good but was at our peril. At the moment that he did that, we thought it was, it was the worst thing that ever happened, but as we look hindsight, it was the best thing that ever happened. And so God has a way of surprising us with joy and also changing our circumstances sometimes. And so I'm going to add a little bit to that, that joke that if you want to make God angry, tell him your plans for others. I think America's favorite pastime is trying to live the lives of other people around us. I mean, have you ever looked at uh, the grocery stand about how many magazines there are that are obsessing over what Brad Pitt did with his child at McDonald's? Do you have the Happy Meal? Do you have the McNuggets? You know, like you have this obsession of people's lives that are, are just insane. And I think that that creeps into our daily lives where we look at friends and family and people that are close to us, and we have this uncontrollable urge to live the lives for them, to get in there and, and control and be part of it and get overly committed in these things. And, and we, we, we hold these opinions, and if people aren't doing things the way that we would do or maybe we think they should do, we get bent out of shape, and when we vocalize it, and this causes turmoil and drama and all these things. And, and I think God has something in that whole entire mix for us. He has something that has to do with our, 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 the words of our mouths about the limitations that we had cast upon people that you can't do this or you're not going to go there or you'll never do this. And also maybe the limitations that we have let come upon us. That we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, we're not able to do this. Maybe God doesn't show up here or there. Maybe God doesn't have his plan for me in this place. And so we're going to talk about limitations and expectations tonight. So if you have a Bible, flip over to James chapter 4. And let's open up in prayer. So God, we just commit tonight. Lord, we just understand that you are the author, the perfecter of this place. Lord, we are here to meet with you for no other reason. God, we expect a God encounter tonight. Lord, we expect that you would have your wisdom leap from the text tonight, that your truth would pierce our heart. Lord, that you would speak to us in such a compelling and amazing way that, Lord, we would be so drawn and attracted to truth, to health, and to wholeness. And so, Lord, as we wrestle with these things, and Lord, we open our eyes and our hearts, God, I just pray that you just would minister to us, and, and Lord, that you would give us a dose of your spirit here tonight. God, not just a dose, Lord. We just pray that you would fill this place and so that every word that would proceed from my mouth, God, every detail would be ordained from you and anything that would be from me or from the world or from any loftiness of human intellect, Lord, would be silenced. And so we just commit this text, this message, and, and this time tonight to you, Lord. And we just invite you here. Would you help us as we seek you and search for you, Lord? You promise as we draw close to you, you draw close to us. And we just commit this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to challenge you with a question to ponder. It is, what if our words and expectations could release the will of God in those around us? 
What if the simple words that you'd speak and the expectations you hold, what if that could unlock, so to speak, this huge key and unlock the human potential and the God potential and the supernatural potential around you? What if a simple word, if an inclination that comes in your mind and you talk to somebody and you say something the right way, that that forever changes their life? I really believe that power is there, is at stake for us tonight as we look at this. Romans 12, 2. It says, do not, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is fundamental to everything that we need to be aware of, of our relationship with God, is that he asks us to have a renewed mind. And both God and Satan are in a war for our hearts. And they're both asking the same question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And I steal that from Brian Orm because it so grabbed me that both Satan and God are both yelling to us, asking, who do you think you are? And Satan is, 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 has it with a finger pointing at us. Who do you think you are that you would do this? And I think God sometimes asks with open arms and just beckons us, who do you think you are? You're my son. You're my daughter. Come here. And so we have this war that Satan and God are both challenging and waging for our hearts And we have the command to be transformed by the renewal of our mind that we would think differently, that we would see differently, that we would speak differently when we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our life and invade every little detail of our life is that we forever change. But we need to begin to change the way in which we think and see people. As we're praying tonight, we're we're, we're feeling that, that we've been in this ministry for a year and a half, two years, some of us. And we have the expectations about maybe what a normal Thursday would be. And it's fitting that tonight we don't have music and because we break our expectation for what is normal. But I think that we have normal expectations about those around us. And maybe those expectations aren't good expectations. Maybe you expect that the same person is struggling with the same thing. Or maybe you expect that you'll be annoyed by the same person. You, know, you have all these things. You live in community. You get a lot of things. And it's easy for us to grab things that we don't necessarily like and put them in our pocket. And we carry them around with us at all times. And we carry these expectations that are going to be limiting our experiences with those around us. We're going to limit what we expect in an encounter with an individual. Or maybe in the music. And it happens all the time. And I think it's, it's been the ceiling that's been over us in this place. It's been ceilings that have been in individual lives. And I believe that God has a blueprint for us tonight to break through that ceiling, both in our personal life and the lives around us. And we all play a part in that. When we talk about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, tonight I'm talking about specifically renewing our expectations and our limitations. And here's what is at stake, is that we all have the power to snuff out the will of God and others around us. We don't like to think about it that way, but we have the power to take a little flame that God is stirring in somebody and pinch that little flame out. And it's a bummer that the sin of this world and the free choice that we have allows us to play that role, but it is a reality that we deal with. So if you turn to James 4, we'll pick up in verse 11. James 4. Oops, that's First Peter. Verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Everyone say slander. Slander, I'm going to, to give you a little bit of uh, additional translation here. This does not mean the traditional slander. This actually means to speak without thought. To have, to have thoughtless speech. Things that you would say that are mindless. Brothers, do not slander 
one another. Do not speak with mindless things to one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is one lawgiver and judge and the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, this is a larger story that we've talked about over the past several weeks. We've talked about bitterness and envy and gossip and dissension, hypocrisy and favoritism. And and the root here is really about pride. But what I'm talking about tonight because of the time in our culture is how we judge the expectations of those around us is we're judging their potential. Again, I said that America's favorite pastime is to obsess about the lives of others around us, and we expect that they will uh, not do the things we we would do, or they're going to go to places we wouldn't go to, and we'll say, they won't achieve that, they won't go there, they won't get into that. And it's very easy for us to play that, but there's such power when we vocalize that stuff to other individuals. And these are commonly referred to as word curses. When we say, you're not good enough to go to law school. You're not good enough to lead that ministry. You're not, you know, that, that's just not really for you. We speak these things, and they put these walls over us. But it reveals something about our hearts. Is that not judging? Are we not participating in cutting people down? I would argue that we are, that, that we are partnering with the enemy to keep people in their place. I think that as we look at our speech, we often let so many things slide that are totally unnecessary. Like when I was skydiving, my instructor, before we get in the plane, decided to tell me that they get their parachutes for free. Not necessary to tell me that right before we jump out of a plane. (laughs) There are some things that in life are just better not said. And having the control to know that our words are double-edged sword. Remember in James 3, talked about how with the same mouth we bless the Lord and with the same mouth we curse him is that we have control of our speech. We have renewed mind to have a perspective on those around us because discouragement is the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not conform the pattern of the world of discouragement, of gossip, of depression, of cynicism, of sarcasm. Those are all the patterns of the world, and God is calling us tonight to be encouragers, to exhort one another, to build people up, and to speak life into their potential. What, what, what good does it do someone to set, tell them that, you know, you probably shouldn't apply. It's really hard to get in. Or what good is it to tell them, like, you know, nine out of ten businesses fail? You know, what good are those things doing to anybody anywhere? I think our words matter because along with our words, we, and this is really important, we are partners in fulfilling the will of God. You and I, we are all partners in fulfilling God's will. Because the second part of Romans 12, too, says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are partners in approving and testing God's will, and here's how. The first part is that we are partners in declaring value. If you think of, of what this means to, to, be, um, to test and approve, if you, th- if you think of like a piece of art, and there is an art critic an expert, and it looks like a Van Gogh. We are experts in being able to identify and validate and authenticate a piece of work that is of God. Just like uh, uh, someone in an art gallery would say, this is an authentic piece, because they know the brush strokes, they know the pattern, they know the colors, they know the form. And just like that, we have been called to be these art professionals. 
and look at the handiwork of God, and the first part is, is that we declare value. And the part of declaring value comes through words of knowledge, comes through exhortations, through prophecy, from all those different things, but it comes from our mouth. That we would tell people the value that they have within God, because so many of us walk around and we feel so depressed, we feel so unvalued. And so the first part, in approving God's will and testing it and being spectators to it and saying, yes, this is the will of God, is that we decree value of, of our role with our Creator. Have you ever seen, like, the traveling road shows where they have, like, the guy with, like, the spectacles, he's, like, the expert on everything, and, and this, you know, woman brings, like, this little uh, knitting needle, right, you know? And she brings it, and, and this guy's, like, looking at it, like, oh, my, 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 this isn't a knitting needle, this is the feather quill of Abraham Lincoln, you know, and in fact, it's signed the Emancipation Proclamation, and this is worth a, bajiz- a bajillion dollars, you know. It's this amazing thing in which you transform something that's very simple, and when you know who it was intended for and its purpose, it suddenly has value. We play that same role with individuals, is that we partner with God so that others would know whose they are. They are God's and their value and their usefulness. And we partner with God to reveal the value that we are in his creation. The second part is that we, we authenticate God's plan. We authenticate. We are partners in looking at God's handiwork and saying, yeah, this is a move of God. Or, no, this is not. And that is very tricky waters because throughout the Bible, this is important, that the Bible says that they are counterfeits that are masquerading, even as angels of light, trying to steal you away from the gospel. Even Paul says, if I preach a gospel, anything different than this, ignore it. The Bible is very explicit. There's going to be people that are going to come and try and convert and pervert and do all the things of the truth to fit their agenda. And so as we have the renewing of our mind, we look and we say that God's plan and purpose is that his intimate encounter with us is unshakable. And that requires that we stand up and say, yes, this is the will of God or not. And we are participants with God in that. And I'm personally tired of people who go around and they, they buy into these theologies that provide provision for their compromise. I remember one time we were here and we were talking about purity and this, this couple came up, already tearing before they came up, and they're like, you know, we're totally just blowing it, you know, and, and we're living here and these different things and we prayed them and the, the power of God moved and And so we're there, and we're like, we know what has to happen. You have to move out. You have to do whatever it takes to break yourself away from sin. You don't want to see how close you can get to the line. You want to run from the line. And so they came so heavy-hearted, and they say, yeah, we're going to do this. And I followed up a couple weeks later, and they still hadn't, you know, moved, or they hadn't done anything. It's like, well, you know, do you need a truck? Do you need hands? Like, what do you need? And like, you know, like, we've just been talking to some other people and really praying about it, and we just feel that, you know, God has grace for our situation. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, don't you remember, like, the, you know, the prayer? Yeah, you know, like, we were talking to some people, and, and you know, like, they just really encouraged us, like, you know, as long as we love God, then he's going to work it out. And, and I'm just not able to sit here and say that God has transformed the renewing of our mind and say that God is going to always turn a blind eye and say completely say screw you for your entire life and we've been convicted to never do anything about it. God has total grace for us. God is not a God of judgment of course but when God convicts us and asks us to move and he gives us the abilities to make things better is that we have an obligation to make an effort towards that. 
and to have other people who study the Bible and who look at the Word of God and say, yeah, that compromise is totally okay. I'm not willing to do that. I don't stand in judgment, but I'm not willing to have a gospel be released into our community and into our group that has a commitment to compromise. And so that requires us to have a ready, unshakable knowledge of saying, it's the unpopular thing to say that, yeah, you can't live together before you get married. And yeah, it's bad for this, and here's why. 1 Corinthians 3.16, for God is, our bodies are God's temple. All other sins are outside of our body, but God's spirit lives within our, our, our body, our temple, and so our physical bodies have such a unique significance to God. And so I just refuse to, to play in that. But the opposite is true. If we are not building up, if we're not declaring value and authenticating, then we are devaluing. And we are making God look like he's inferior, making him look like he's not as legit. Are you on the receiving end of some things where people are, are speaking discouragement to you? Have you ever, like, encountered relationships in such a way that you feel so weighted down by the words that they speak? Do you ever feel like maybe you are carrying the scars and the burdens of, of words from your past? Maybe your upbringing, maybe you've had some difficulties with family, some friends, and they've said some nasty things, and you feel like you're tugging it along with you? I think that there's something amazing about how we carry that and then how we perceive God's will in our lives. If we have your Bible still, let's read on for chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are the mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence that, that James rebukes the words that we would say to other people and then talks about how we're getting the will of God wrong. I think those two are kind of related here. And though that this text talks about the boasting of all the grandiose things we'll do, I think right now, in this culture right now, I'm not hearing all these people boasting about what they're going to do tomorrow. I'm hearing people talk about how much despair they are in, about how much their life stinks on ice. And they're not more about, oh, I'm going to make all this money, I'm going to do these things, or I'm going to have these relationships. They are wallowing in, what do I do with my life? I'm at a point where life is not working out very well. I don't have a job. I don't have a relationship. I got all this baggage and drama, and life isn't going too well. And I wonder that if we take a look at this text, and we, we look at the ways in which maybe people have seeded those ideas into our mind, that there's an eternal significance. And maybe we're part of a cycle. Maybe we are spewing depression and cynicism and sarcasm out and we are allowing it to come upon us and limiting our circumstances and let me tell you that the power of low expectations i think is one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses against us the power that he can keep you completely buying into the decision and the idea that you will not amount to anything of significance i think is the greatest weapon that the enemy has for us because if he can tell you that you're not going to amount to much then he can go on and continue to pester other people because he knows that you're not going to gather the mustard to do anything and break out of it. I think we, when I was researching and studying this, I came across um, something I've never seen in the Bible before, and it's the words that Jesus couldn't. Does that seem interesting to you? 
Jesus couldn't. If you want to see it, turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6. Verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they, and they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Are you hearing this? Is that Jesus went back to his hometown and it says that he could not perform miracles as besides a few people and healing them that were sick. Nowhere else have I seen that in the Bible where Jesus was, was encountered opposition that limited his identity and his paradigm of who he was and the deity, the power, the supernatural to do things in the multitudes. So we have Jesus that here is dismayed by the lack of faith, and he could not do any miracles there except lay on hands for a few people. I wonder if our lives are being limited because the lack of expectation is so prevalent around us that we don't expect anything else. Isn't that interesting that, that maybe you feel like you have been carrying a paradigm of that your life is like this, and it's not amounting to much, and so you're, you're breaking free, you're trying to do new things, but no one's letting you live up to that paradigm? No one's letting you grow in out of this little brother syndrome? Don't you feel that in that, like, Mary's son and the brother of Judas and Simon, don't you feel that there's this, this, this low expectation? Like, of course, we know who this person is. There's no way that this person is doing these miracles. I think it's, it's amazing that that was the fabric of Jesus' hometown, that the paradigm for who he was was not compatible to who he became. And I don't want that for us. I don't want that for our group and, and for your life is to feel like you have to live down a paradigm. If you've blown it, if you've messed up, if you've lived a life that's not been honoring or you've totally messed it up, that you should be able to walk in the power and the fullness of God taking you to the next level and you shouldn't have to live it down with your old community. I'm challenged because I have my 10-year high school anniversary in two weeks and I don't want to go. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And I was actually just home last weekend to see my family. It's amazing when you go back to see family that you kind of like go back into these old habits and whole, old ways in which you act and behave. And that's so detrimental to, I think, where, where God wants to take us because he will not take us and give us promotion if we are still acting and behaving in the same old prior ways. He's not going to give you the promotion if you're still behaving like little Joey, the little brother. So we need to look about how do we break free from being the little joy reputation to being the warrior of God that he's called us to. How do we do that? The really cool thing about this, the, the one good news out of this, is that this proves that the people around us are catalysts for releasing the supernatural. 
It wasn't like the faith was terrible, and Jesus did the most miracles he's ever done in his life. That'd be bad news for us. The fact that Jesus couldn't do as much because the faith was not as grand is good news for us because that means that we are partners in releasing God's supernatural ability in and around us. That's great news. That means when we come with expectation, when we have faith and we come together, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. That means that our lives, our jobs, our relationships can be supernaturally transformed by the power of our faith. We come into agreement with, with others. Expectations are the absolute required ingredient for all things supernatural. It's got to be there. That's why you hear about in Africa all these crazy things and amazing things happening. And you don't feel like you see them here. Well, you go to these communities, and we've been to El Salvador, and the expectations and the faith when people come to pray for you and pray with you is so huge. I mean, we were just praying for a couple of people in houses, and all of a sudden the entire community would start meeting us wherever we were going. And we were praying for people, and people were being healed, and it's like, we're not ready for this, you know? And it just was crazy. But the level of expectation, when we met our expectation up to here, God pushed the supernatural up here. And if we are unsatisfied by the level of supernatural presence in our lives, in our communities, in these places, that we need to look at where our expectations are. Where are your expectations for your life? Where are your expectations for what you get on a Thursday or Sunday or Tuesday? It doesn't matter. Where are those? Because God, I think, is asking, saying, I'm ready to give you the promotion if you are willing to put away your low expectations. I'm ready to take you to the next level if you have some of the faith to entrust me that I'm going to take you to the depths you've never seen. I think it's a powerful call on us. And I think it's interesting that Jesus changed the names of the disciples. Everyone think that's kind of weird? Kind of sounds like something you're doing like in a cult, right? You know? I don't know. But as I was looking at this, I was like, maybe, just maybe. I know that there is powerful significance from the old names to what the new names, but just bear with me for a second. Maybe the paradigms for who Simon was was so unbearable that Peter couldn't be Peter with the Simon name. Maybe the pressure to behave like the old Simon was so great that Jesus had to change his name, change his job description, change his expectation, and change his promotion. Because Jesus built his entire church around Peter, the rock. But he had to change his name and change that expectation for him. And who knows what the significance of that was in the community, but we know that Peter, even though he cheated out, cheesed out, even though he totally blew it, God used him immeasurably more than anybody else to build the church. He was the rock. He gave Peter the keys. It's interesting. We had Brian Orm here uh, a couple weeks ago. And if you're here, we had amazing night. Amazing night. The, the huge line over here, and people just come back crying. Like, I met these guys who were like big and tough guys, and you know, they were new here. It's like, oh, what a first time night to be here, you know? Like, you get worried. And these guys were just up there, and they were, you know, receiving prayer, crying. They were totally moved. And it's because that Brian and people like Brian have the expectation when they come here, people expect a presence of the Holy Spirit with them. They expect a God encounter. Bill Johnson says that we owe other people a God encounter. And that we need to begin to live a life of expecting that others around us owe us a God encounter and that we owe others a God encounter. There shouldn't be anything that separates a Brian Orm versus anybody else that speaks. 
It's the level of the expectation that we come for. You don't need to go somewhere else to get the miracles. God promises us that he will do the things with us if we come with greater expectations. But we need to stop the words that we say. We need to stop limiting the potential of others around us. We need to stop seeding death into the lives of us and start building them up. It's been hard being in ministry because you work so long to build a new level of expectation. And just so you guys know, I know that we're known for a lot of different things. I mean, we have slingshots and squid at a barbecues. You know, it's like, it's kind of weird. Uh, But where I'm at is I'm committed to having God be in this place. As unpopular as it could ever be, I don't care if it's two people. I believe that two people with great expectations can fill this room and to move in powerful ways like never before. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, and I, I, I say this with all great sincerity, is that we are moving into a place where we are going to be demanding greater and greater expectation that God is going to be doing more and more things through us. The, the world sucks out there. Have you seen unemployment? Have you seen what the economy is doing? There's no reason that we need to, to be a part of those low expectations for our future. And so we come and say, God, you're our provider. So God, we believe that you're going to break through. And so we're going to begin to push ourselves more and more for greater and greater expectations. And if you come and maybe you're totally into food or the music or whatever, those are all fine things. But if you're not coming expecting to have a God encounter, then we invite you to check out a ton of other groups that are in the area. And I mean that in the best way. Only because I want to see this place go through the roof. I don't care about numbers. I don't care about the magnitude. I want us to have a reputation where God encounters us on Thursday nights. Wouldn't it be cool if, like, our business card, instead of being really trendy with clothing and stuff, says just, like, God, attend, God attends church there or something? You know, like, something that people knew that God shows up here on Thursdays. That we would change our expectations, that we would change the words, that we begin to see and believe and experience that. I totally think it's possible. I think God wants to break our old paradigm. I want to invite Mark up. Might need to grab a microphone real quick, but Mark is uh, going to share a, a quick story. And Mark uh, and I had coffee last week, and he totally shattered my paradigm for who he was and, and who I knew him to be, and he's had a radical God encounter. And, and talk about changing the expectations of what God is able to do and willing to do. And It's coming right there. And um, he's going to share with us real quick. Should I turn this on? It should be on. Hello? Yep. Hello? Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's uh, really cool actually just listening to Eric there. Um, two words come to mind, pride and humility. And um, just hold on to that as I start my story. Um, so I grew up in church, went to Awanas, did all those things, and I believe I gave my life to Jesus at a pretty young age. I was very passionate about the Lord. Um, but around sophomore year of college, this was in San Luis Obispo, um, I began to get really discouraged. My expectations for what God had for me became very low. And um, I began just to, one by one, just kind of go, oh, you know what, I don't know if God knows what's best here. So I moved in with my girlfriend, started uh, um, just living how I thought was best. And um, 
things kept getting worse. And then I moved up here to Sacramento and uh, joined a fraternity. And all the things I thought I always wanted, I began to get. I had lots of friends, uh, girls into me, which was, for me, a really big deal. Um, um, I just had all the things I thought I wanted. But I was so depressed that uh, this was about four and a half, five months ago, I... uh, I one night cut myself in the face just because I was so depressed. I, I, I was drunk and just started cutting myself. I was just destroyed. And um, a couple days later, I went down to San Francisco in a fraternity event and ended up getting together with a friend. And I took a shroom and I hallucinated. And it was not a pleasant experience. Um, it was about the most demonic things, times a thousand, that you could experience. Um, and that night, I was just crying out to Jesus. I was like, I need Jesus in my life. And I won't talk about the things I saw, but I could give you a pretty good picture of hell. It's nowhere anybody wants to be. And uh, the next day, I woke up in the morning. I called my friend, and uh, I was like, I need a ride home right now. And uh, so he, he loves Jesus, and he picked me up. And uh, on the way home, I hallucinated again, and I thought he was Satan, and I punched him in the face on the, when he was driving, and we drove off a cliff. Um, it was a 55-foot drop uh, going 65 miles an hour. This is on Highway 50 here, and um, yeah, well, obviously I survived. He walked away completely fine. Um, I fractured my back, um, and uh, it didn't stop there. I kept hallucinating. I thought I was in hell. This went on for three weeks straight in the hospital. I, at one point, I bit off a good chunk of my tongue. Like, I just, like, something had just completely taken me over. And uh, um, so this went on for about three weeks, and it finally um, started coming out of these hallucinations. And I got to move back home. Well, obviously, you can imagine, going through something like that makes you start thinking about Jesus again. And, uh, um... It was really tough because my whole life I'd kind of felt let down by God. I always thought, you know, whatever he does, I'm going to be a loser if I walk with Jesus. That's, that's the biggest lie that we, I think we all get told is walking with Jesus is going to suck. And it was something I battled with immediately after the accident. I did poker for a living, and I've been always good but never this good where I was making 100 bucks an hour. Everything's going my way. And... All of a sudden, God's like, is, who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose me, which is humility? But Satan is crying out, saying, choose pride. Choose yourself. You are God. And I battled with this, wrestled with God. I was like, no, no, you're, you're gonna, it's going to be a failure if I choose you. And I'm telling you, that is what Satan is telling all of us, that we are God, and that, without, that we, can, we can find happiness in ourselves. And if you want the epic life that Eric talks about like tonight, it's through humility. It's through finally realizing I fell. Everything the Bible's about is that one thing, we all fell. (laughs) And that the only way to live an epic life is to go, you know what? Jesus Christ, come in. Lead me. And you're going to hear a million things telling you, no. No, that cannot be the truth. But you will continue to fail. So you just realize Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to be the ultimate friend for us, the ultimate leader, the ultimate man, and lay down his life for us. So um, 
You want to live the epic life? Walk with Jesus. And all these things that Eric's talking about, let him be the leader of them. So that's my story. Right on. Um, we had coffee, and I just was... He shattered every last paradigm, because I knew him a little bit. We're both entrepreneurial, and and uh, he just was rattling my cage. And, and um, I love it because I'll never look at him the same. And the amazing amount of encouragement that came from that breakthrough when we finally connected and realized that we're both in a place where we are just so encouraged. The more and more we talk, we're so much more encouraged. And it just comes from just punching through those little limitations. And it also comes from us kind of dealing with maybe things that are lies that we're buying into. And so tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different, is we're going to break into probably groups of five or at your table, or we're going to keep a couple small groups. And I want to pray for two things real quick. Is I want to pray first for the lies that have been spoken against you, and maybe the lies that you've spoken against yourself, things that you've said about yourself, things that people have said about you that are keeping you, that are tormenting you, or all those different things. Like, those are serious things that we take very seriously, that God says that with the words of our mouths that we curse, and we also bless God. And so we want to take back some of those curses and just say that, God, we cleanse our mind. Whatever things we're believing of lies, we want to just hit the little reset button there. So we want to break into groups for that. And the second thing is that we want to come and ask God to rewire expectations. And we want to have a new level of expectation for for God here, for God out there in our workplace. Every, whatever area in your life that you need a new expectation for, we're going to pray for that. So uh, we have some leaders. If you guys can kind of help gravitate and grab a couple groups, five or six or whatever, uh, we'll spend a few minutes here. And we just want to just pray with each other and just say, Lord, we just want a cleansing of our mind. We want to renew our minds. We want to have a full focus for you. We want to live in the way in which we see the potential of those around us and what you are doing. And then, again, about our expectations. So uh, we'll close the night with that and um, leave from there. So uh, as we break, Lord, we just commit this to you. And, and God, ask that you, Lord, would be just the centerpiece of this group. God, of, of, of everything that is, is righteous and holy, Lord, for... Um, this generation, God, we want it. Lord, if you have something in store for us that we need to take our expectations to the next level, Lord, we want it. So, Lord, I pray that there would be just a ceasing of any awkwardness or any reservations or any nervousness or anything that, Lord, we bring in here every single week and, and into church and into the different places, Lord, whatever we bring with us that, that keeps us at our arm's distance, Lord, we just pray that you'd help break that out of us. And Lord, that we would look forward and look with expectation, God, to what you're going to do and who you are and, God, your plan and your majesty. And, and so as we commit our, our, our time here, um, Lord, would you just strengthen us? Would you grow us and would you reveal your heart? Lord, it all is about knowing your heart and knowing your mind of knowing who we are and who we were created for because we are valuable in your sight, Lord. So help us to change our paradigm for that. And Lord, we... Um, just commit this in Jesus' name. Leaders, if you guys can connect, um, and don't be shy, feel free if you get one.